Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Finsider Radio. My name is Keith. I'll be your host for about the next 90 minutes. As always, flanked by my co-hosts, Lewis and Duke. Duke and Lewis doesn't really matter. They're both integral to the show. What's going on? What's up? Uh, Hanging in there, man. We're talking about, because Duke's about to get hit with the snowpocalypse out on on the East Coast. I don't know if any of our other listeners uh, can relate. Looks like the D.C. area is going to get hit the worst, but if you're on the East Coast, you're pretty much fair game right now. So that's no good. It's just cold up here. It's been, I think, the other day we had a high of six and a low of negative three. So not only is it awful, but, like, it just it doesn't move at all. I mean, it's just, I don't know. The only reason I live here is because my wife insists that we never move otherwise. Because I, I spent a fair amount of my time growing up in Jensen Beach, Florida, and now I live in pretty much the opposite of Jensen Beach up here in the suburbs of Chicago. So, well, I did it to myself. Uh, so tonight, we're going to go ahead and kind of continue our discussion with the whole Adam Gates thing. You're seeing this, uh, all this information continue to come out, support from, from the NFL community. A lot of people support the coaches he's brought on board, as long as they're not, not named Chris Forster, of course. Uh, so every, everyone's looking at Adam Gates now, and I think a lot of people who are highly hesitant about that hiring two weeks ago, I think are starting to warm up to it a bit. It seems like the, the, a good amount of the people on my on my Twitter feed, at least, are starting to come around to it. It's going to be something where it, it you won't see everyone warm up to it until it results in, in wins. It results in probably Ryan Tannehill playing better, which I think will happen. Or, or at least they're going to make it number one priority for that to happen. But people starting to warm up to it. you got Clyde Christensen now as your offensive coordinator. Uh, the uh, quarterback's coach they have in there is younger than me by a couple of months, which is in, which is kind of upsetting. I'm not going to lie. When I saw that um, his name's uh, Bo, when I saw Bo's age yesterday, I about, I about started gagging because it said he was born in, like, the summer of 1984. I was like, oh, man, we've reached that point where NFL coaches are younger than me. <clears throat> so, well, go ahead. We'll talk more about that. Uh, you've got this sort of continuing soap opera that that Armando has been, been sharing uh, in installments, it seems, and Joe Philbin and just how dysfunctional his tenure, it was his tenure as uh, Dolphins head coach. We'd already we read that he was a fan of Derek Carr, wanted to draft Derek Carr in 2014. Which, I mean, Derek Carr was I mean an excellent prospect coming out of Fresno State. I wouldn't hold it against anyone for wanting to coach him, except for two reasons. Number one, Philbin was stating his support for Ryan Tannehill uh, was a part of the regime that drafted him, and then it came out this week that. Not only did Philbin decide that he wanted Derek Carr in 2014, he made a plea for it pretty much 
a couple of days leading up to the draft, which if, I mean, if you're listening to this, I mean, you realize that, that teams will hang on to their scouting personnel until after the draft before firing them, even if there's going to be a change at, at regime or change of regime, simply because you want that continuity in scouting. I mean, 365 days a year go into scouting college players is not something that the Dolphins started last for the 2016 draft. They've been looking at 2016 prospects since the the end of the 2015 draft and probably before that. So you're always hanging on to those coaches. Even if there's going to be a change, even if they're all going to be fired, you hang on to them until after the draft because you don't want to sit there and muck with your, your draft plans, if you will. So the fact that Philbin pitches this idea I think it's a couple of days prior. I don't know the exact uh, time frame leading up to the 2014 draft when he 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 pitched this almost mini coup. But Duke, when that that story came out, I know that you've you've been taken aback by a lot of the the field and stuff that's come out, and I know it's really it's affected you. What did you think? Not just the fact that he wanted Derek Carr, but that it was something where they're getting ready to go draft, and it's like, oh, by the way, I want this guy in the first round. Cancel your plan. Well, I mean, the fact that it was a few days before the draft is kind of kind of weird. I mean, like you said, <clears throat> this is something that they've been doing for a lot longer than you know a couple of weeks. I mean, you know, most most fan scouts like like me we start now. These guys have been looking at prospects. I mean, Jeff Island said he looked at Tannehill. Uh, before the 2011 season, pretty much. He was um, – so he'd been scouting for pretty much two years. So that's that's kind of what's going on here. And you come up, you've got this plan in place. You've got everything around. And the coach just comes up and says, no, nah, I'd rather have this guy. And not only that, it, it kind of makes you wonder, too, exactly what Joe Fielden saw in him I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily peg Joe Philbin as a scout type. Um, now, what That's was it just, at this point. Yeah, what, what made Joe Philbin take a liking to Derek Carr? And remember, this isn't after the 2015 season. This is after the 2013 season where Tannehill had <clears throat> he had gone uh, from 12 touchdowns, I think 24 touchdowns, interceptions had come down or something. Uh, I think he actually threw more interceptions, but, I mean, he still had a pretty good ratio there. All his numbers went across the, up across the board. Things were looking promising. Why change then? And, it, I mean, that, is, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? And, I, and obviously, if you have that kind of conviction about it, that you're going to abandon your quarterback, this is not, you know, uh, you know, well, I, I don't particularly like this backup linebacker. Let's go a different direction. This is your the the leader of your offense, the guy. And a week, two weeks, or whatever, right before the draft, you say, I don't want him anymore. I want this guy. Why did why would you wait that long? Why would you not say something at the beginning of at the end of the season? Um, it, it, none of that makes any sense. And it just kind of piles on. And, and and I know Derek Carr made the Pro Bowl, and I, I'm surprised I haven't seen too much being made out of that whole situation. People say, well, maybe Joe Philbin was right. But here's here's the deal. What 
I mean, I, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. The, uh, I mean, what about the story makes Joe Fieldman look good? I mean, it doesn't matter your opinion of Tannehill, and you can, and in my, in fact, I think you can take that off the board. What you feel, what if Joe Fieldman was right about Tannehill, is irrelevant. What does, how does the story make Joe Fieldman look good? This information, where is it coming from? What source? How does this, how does this in any way make Joe Fieldman look like? Well, maybe he had a, maybe he had a point. I, I just don't see it. Maybe he's right. Maybe Tannehill isn't the guy. But you, you, you're supposed to be the head coach, and you've dropped your support to the point that you poisoned your offensive coordinator against him. You, you wouldn't let a Hall of Fame, uh, pretty much still the face of the franchise, Dan Marino, uh, give this guy help. And it's not like he was saying, I, I'm sure he wasn't in there coaching him, saying, no, you need to do this or that. I'm sure Tannehill was like, I, you know, I, just give me some advice on this or that. And, and they didn't want Marino around. I mean, I just don't see a situation in which Joe Philbin comes out of this looking good, regardless no. of whether Tannehill becomes a great guy, a great quarterback or not. It, it just is well, mind-blowing. That will remain to be seen. I think that uh, he's still got that capability. I went on Lewis's show on uh, on Tuesday and mentioned as much. that I mean, regardless of, of what you think of Ryan Tannehill right now, I mean, it the beating he's taken physically and mentally in Miami and the fact that he's still standing and that there's still upside to, to scrap here is something that I think speaks to how talented of a passer he is. I mean, if you watch him play, if you just watched a game and you had no rooting interest in Miami and you watch how that guy throws the ball downfield now, especially uh, this season with, with that added confidence he had there, the way that, I mean, he's able, his athleticism, uh, the way that, I mean, at times he's able to scan the field. Yeah, I mean, like, there's significant, there's talent there. That's not a guy you just throw away and say, like, I want him out of Miami. I want to start to start fresh. You better have a damn good reason for that. So, I mean, we'll see now. But, I mean, with, with Philbin, it's, like, these stories coming out, a lot of people are saying, well, this mudsling is, is awfully, uh, you know, belated considering the fact that Philbin isn't around anymore. And, well, this is the kind of stuff that probably doesn't come out while Philbin's there. For if it's rooting interest or whatever. But the point is, is it speaks to and agrees with a lot of the dysfunction and lack of control that we saw uh, occur under under Philbin's watch. And I, I, have a, any... sure. I have a question that I, I thought about going along with the story is as far as personnel decisions, I thought Dennis Hickey did a pretty good job. I mean, I think his draft picks, uh, you know, say what you will about the 2015 draft, but in 2014 he picked Jarvis Landry, Juwan James. Uh, you know, he found some guys in there that were talented. I'm wondering if all of this was kind of – it found Ross's ear. And if he did not say, I'm going to I'm going to wash all of that away, and that's why. And I mean, I know he brought in Tannenbaum, but I'm wondering if he didn't kind of bring him in to kind of settle this as if Hickey did not. Because when I mean, you think about this, I'm sure if Philbin came to whoever Dennis Hickey, whoever, two weeks before or so before the draft, and said, I want I want a new quarterback, I want Derek Carr, that that story probably reached Stephen Ross. 
And I don't remember when Tannenbaum came on. I don't remember all that precisely. But it just seems like to me that perhaps Ross kind of saw all of this going on kind of culminating. It's like, well, the coach is, you know, there's not a there's not a cohesion between the front office and the uh, and the coaching staff. And I, I'm wondering if that's why there wasn't just a complete and total change, including Dennis Hickey, who, despite doing a good job, just didn't uh, didn't take control of that situation somehow. It could be. I mean, I don't know. We're, we're, we're obviously not privy to all those details the way that Armando is. Uh, and more could come out. I'm not sure. I mean, more could come out tomorrow, for all we know. But it just it gives you a good feeling hearing Adam Gase talk, seeing the guys that he's brought in. I love the Chris Forster, of course. I always see that joke on Twitter. Everyone's like, we're so close to coaching staff, except for Chris Forster. So I mean, you look at everyone Gase has brought in, though. You hear how I mean, Gase has already, he's done the interview rounds. Like he, I heard him on Levitard's show. I've I heard him on uh, like his official press, press conference he did when he was hired. And you look, after going through the Philbin regime and the passive-aggressive nature with which everything was handled and conducted during that time, it's just nice to see Adam Gates, and it looks like he doesn't put up with a lot of nonsense. He's into direct communication. He said that he's going to call plays. He's the head coach. Even though he's the head coach and he's calling the plays, then there's going to be a quarterback's coach and Clyde or uh, an offensive coordinator, Clyde Christensen. Uh, he's still the Adam Gates is still the one really working with the quarterback and whatnot, which is you love to hear that you assume that's one of the reasons he was hired. So it, it's just a nice change of pace. It's exciting. I mean, hopefully we can just put all this behind us. And if Adam Gates ends up doing great things for us, then the Philbin regime will have done us a favor in the end because I, I don't think we would have had a chance at Adam Gates until this year. Last year, he was all but set to go to San Francisco. And then uh, York and Balky wanted him to – we should call him Balky, by the way. Instead of Trent Balky, we should <laughs> call him Trent Balky. I don't know if people will get that joke because I don't think we have a lot of 70s and 80s babies listening to this show, but <laughs> Perfect Strangers was a show on ABC in the late 80s. And it was a guy in Chicago, and he had his idiot cousin who was from the fictional island of Nepos. His name was Balky. Well, Don't Trent, Trent, Balky, Trent Balky wanted uh, Jim Tom Sula to be Adam Gase's uh, defensive coordinator. Adam Gase was like, no. Like, I, I mean, I want my guy. I don't want I don't want Jim Tom Sula. And then the whole 49ers thing fell apart. So, I mean, good for us. But I, I think that also speaks to the fact that Adam Gase isn't just taking guys on his staff to take guys on his staff. Because if you think, I mean, a lot of people taking that for I mean, that 49ers job up until probably this year, I mean, that's a that's an attractive gig. I mean, you're talking about a legendary franchise, you know, a lot of young players now. They've had insane turnover from that Super Bowl team in 2012. But, I mean, there's still some young players there, some good players, stuff to build on. And I mean, Adam Gates walked away. Instead goes and he becomes uh, the offensive coordinator in Chicago. And I've spent a, a ton of time talking about my impression. That's when I really got front row seats to to watch what Adam Gates can do. And I was impressed. I saw an Omar tweet come out that said he wasn't impressed with Adam Gates' record. 
uh, you know, how winning with, you know, being involved with Tebow and winning with uh, Pat, Peyton Manning when Manning calls his own plays pretty much and, you know, uh, taking the Bears to six wins, even though that Bears team was really a one-win team last year, I can assure you that if you went to uh, all the Chicago sports writers in early September and said the Bears would win six games, they probably would have laughed at you. They probably would have been like, yeah, try two. And they almost made the playoffs. You know, a couple of missed field goals factored in. The fact that their their defense is really bad, aside from their defensive line, is is looking really good. They drafted Eddie Goldman out of Florida State last year, and they used him as a zero technique in that Vic Fangio scheme, and it was outstanding. So, I mean, they've got a lot to be happy about on the defensive side of the ball, but that's a bad team. Make no mistake, the Chicago Bears right now are a bad team, and a bad team with a lot of injuries. Alshon Jeffrey barely played last year. Eddie Royal was, I think, out all the time, it seemed like. There were, there were games where the leading receiver or the top receiver available was Marquise Wilson, and we're familiar with him from his time at Washington State and the whole meltdown with Mike Leach and all that good stuff. I mean, Matt Forte, your number one running back out. They have Jeremy Langford, who is a really good up-and-coming back. So, I mean, it's, it's not like you were, you were handling dog poop there in your backfield. And the offensive line was pretty much in shambles, too. And then you got Jay Cutler, who averages about 18 interceptions a year. So to sit there and just be like, well, they won six games, so I'm not impressed. That's stupid. That's just looking at the, at the record, not looking at any context, not looking at anything going on underneath that situation, and just writing it off. So sure, if you feel that way, then yeah, Adam Gase is not an impressive uh, coaching candidate. Unless you review all the details, look at the context, realize that when you go from a Peyton Manning offense to a Jay Cutler offense and you make it work regardless of the quarterback you're working with, that is what is impressive. That bears repeating, too, that there are very few people in the NFL who can make that work. Adam Gates talks about how much he learned from uh, uh, Josh, uh, I always want to call him Josh Mishandles, uh, Josh McDaniels. I mean, Josh... Josh McDaniels, if nothing nothing else, has proven that he's not the ultimate personnel guy. He ran Jay Cutler out of Denver. He wanted Matt Castle. I have no idea why. Because Matt Castle was able to to not get the New England Patriots to the playoffs the year of the Wildcat in 2008. But, I mean, it's, it, Gates has said that, I mean, one of his mentors was at, uh, Josh McDaniels. And from a play-calling standpoint, of there are weeks where you're going to be real run heavy. There are weeks where you're just going to spread them out and just throw the ball all, all over. The important thing is you're not doing this, the same thing all the time. So, I mean, I'm I'm stoked about this hire. I feel like I've almost become a hype man for it, just going out there and saying, like, man, I, like I saw this guy work some magic in Chicago. No, it wasn't a playoff team, but they could have been, and they shouldn't have been. So I don't like the term quarterback whisperer. Uh, Joe Philbin pretty much ruined that for me, especially when it came out that uh, one of his chief duties is making sure there are no typos in his PowerPoint. That's ridiculous. Somehow that guy be somehow the uh, the stapler guy from Office Space becomes our head coach, and and then people wonder why things went awry so quickly. Maybe the lack of qualifications. I don't know. You can just go ahead and it's like a laundry list of reasons why that guy shouldn't have been hired. And I don't mean to, to to slight him as a person, 
because I've heard he is a very nice person. But being he's very a very nice, nice man. He's a very nice man. That doesn't mean that he should be should be coaching your football team in a market like Miami, mind you. So uh, I forgot to mention that uh, we're going to have a special guest tonight in about 10 minutes, uh, the Finsider's latest writer, Max Himmelrich. So glad I said his name right. Uh, he um, actually works with Lewis. This is bittersweet for Lewis, I think, because now he has to share him with us. So I'm sorry it worked out that way for you, but I, I really like Max a lot. Max is a good writer. He's uh, already started posting for uh, for Kevin on the Finsider, and his, his stuff, is I think, is excellent. So we'll bring him on. We'll talk about a little bit of the stuff we're talking about. We'll talk about the draft, too, because you're seeing all these people. I spent an hour on fan speak last night going through my market, which, by the way, I think we're going to do a fan speak, too. Some guy asked for that, so sure, why not? Uh, I went on fan speak and did my own mock last night, and there was one where, uh, first of all, if you do one of the boards, uh, Shaq Watson is the number one pick almost every time. Shaq Watson, the defensive end out of Clemson, for, for those who, who don't know who he is. That seems a little strange to me. Uh, I mean, anything could happen. Maybe he blows up the combine, that does happen. And maybe they just have the analytics so on point that they have that, they have that prediction set. I don't know. But I did another fan speak, and Mackenzie Alexander was the number one pick. Uh, when I first got on Lewis's show on Tuesday, he asked me my thoughts on Mackenzie Alexander. And I've only watched a little bit of Mackenzie Alexander. I've watched a lot of Vernon Hargraves, or Van Halen 3, as we like to call him here. Uh, I I sit there and I weep over the fact we're probably not going to get a shot at Jalen Ramsey. I mean, never say never, I guess, but it would. I feel like it would take a miracle and then some to to have a shot at that guy. But Mackenzie Alexander getting serious love right now, which is interesting because he was kind of a polarizing uh, figure in terms of of scouts and people looking at him. This season, I, I remember uh, probably the biggest uh, compliment you can give him right now is the fact that Clemson's pass defense pretty much turned to garbage after after he left that game in the national championship uh, a week ago last Monday. So, but I mean, like he's also raw. That's that's one thing that um, I just kind of poo pooed the conversation and moved on when when I got on Lewis's show, but. Uh, if you're talking about the difference between Bernard Hargraves and Mackenzie Alexander, I think that the chief thing is when you look at Bernard Hargraves, there's already a good amount of polish there. He looks comfortable in what he's doing. I like the technique. Uh, I mean, there's still going to be development there, but you, you see it and you're like, okay, there's going to continue to be refinement, but I like where we're at there. He looks comfortable. Uh, looks comfortable in multiple situations. I mean, you look, you like the back pedal. You like the way that he sets. Uh, and you watch Mackenzie Alexander, and you don't always see that all the time. But when he, when he does have it together, looks outstanding. There's, I mean, we watched some of that tape. I think it was a week ago, and there was a couple of plays where the receiver would cross his face, and you'd see Alexander would lag a bit and didn't recover in time to make a play on the ball. And then you saw other plays where the receiver would cross his face, and Alexander was just like was on the guy like glue. So I mean, the ability is absolutely there. I mean, the athleticism just jumps right off the tape. That's such a cliche now. I shouldn't say that. That's what all the guys on NFL Network say now. It jumps off the tape. But it does. 
I don't think he'll be the number one player selected. So I think fan speak is out of line there, but we'll do one of those later on just, just for, uh, just for giggles, I guess. It's weird to uh, sit there and have any sort of sense of how the draft's going to, how it's going to play out when I think we're still three months and probably a week away from it. So I don't know. Duke, have you been have you done the fan speak at all? I haven't been on there yet. I feel like we spent a lot of time on it last year. Somebody and tell me happen. that Duke hasn't been on the fan speak yet. <laughs> That's right. That's true. Actually. We'll see though. There's a lot of exciting excitement here. There's a lot of good players. I mean it's it's funny how the Dolphins really needed uh an ex-wide receiver, if you will. And there were so many of those guys available in the first round last year. And now, I mean, the Dolphins really need help. Uh, you know, the, the secondary the secondary and second level of defense. And, I mean, it's a good year for that now. So, in terms of the draft uh, reflecting what the, the Miami Dolphins need, they picked the right years to, to have holes at certain positions. So, one thing that I read actually, uh, about one thing that I read about the draft this week, which really helps Miami, is that right now your two top quarterbacks are Jared Goff and uh, God from it, I can't think of his name. Uh, anyway, they were saying that Carson Wentz from North Dakota State could possibly move into uh, not just the first round, but high first round, possibly top ten. So if that's true and that, and it continues that way, that would really be a boon to Miami for uh, three quarterbacks to go into the top eight because that means players drop. And even if a team that's there doesn't need a quarterback, like, say, the Ravens, they might drop out and trade with someone who does, meaning a player like Hargreaves or Ramsey could fall. So let's hope that happens. Let's, let's Let's all hope that three quarterbacks go before Miami drafts. Yeah, there's more teams. That's the whole, the whole the whole theory we have. Uh, we'll actually get more into this in a moment. We actually have a caller, and I want to get somebody. I want to get him on before uh, Max gives us a call in because that could turn into a, a long conversation. So I believe we're talking to Eric from South Florida. What's going on? Hey guys, how you doing tonight? First time caller. Uh, just turned in the show. You guys are doing great. Uh, I want to start off with mentioning the Balky Bertakmus reference. Uh, I'm I'm 38 years old, so the second I heard uh, him talk about Balky, I'm like the immediate reaction was I went to Perfect Strangers and Cousin Larry, and uh, so for him to explain it, I'm like, uh huh, I gotcha, I gotcha. I'm with I'm with you, man. I'm with you on that one. Um, what's always intrigued me about the comparison with Adam Gase and when some people look at uh, the record that Chicago had is that. You know, when you look at statistics, you can certainly look on the on the surface what the numbers show. But in terms of like what Chicago did, you got to go deeper than the record itself. In terms of, and you guys mentioned it, like the players that are injured. Uh, you know, also on Jeffrey was out for most of the entire year. He was able to at least get him six wins, and some of those wins were, or just like some of those losses rather, were by marginal points, a field goal, you know, uh, uh, a missed point after. There were certain things because even like Baltimore this year had a series of games where their total margin of victory in five of their losses was only seven points. 
So, you know, if, if you just look at that and go, well, you know, Gase's offense in Chicago wasn't great. As it was, he didn't have much to work with. So you guys made a great point of, like, yeah, Chicago was supposed to have maybe two or three wins forecast for them, but he was able to get them to stretch the six. And it could have been more had some games gone a certain way. So the question I have is this. Um, I'm, I'm all for Gates. I think he's been great. I love a lot of the hires, except for Chris Forster. I'm kind of unsure about that one. But with, with, with the defense really being a focus this coming uh, draft, with, with Vance, we really don't know what the defensive coordinator might run. I've, I've heard a lot of talk about there could be variations of cover two, cover four, cover six. But who do we think, based on the projections so far, who do we feel is like the best player that we could get uh, for this defense if we're running a very multi-talented scheme? I can answer that question well, for you, Miles well. Jack. <laughs> to Rashad Jones on the field. That's a pretty versatile thing <laughs> with me. Lewis is such a friend, of, uh, such a, a fan of Miles Jack. I'll actually who I'll again? Who gotta, wouldn't want? Who wouldn't want two Rashad Jones running around? Could you imagine Vance Joseph? He'd probably licking his chops. Okay, I can have one Rashad out here and one Rashad over there. Well, I'll tell you this: the thing with Miles Jack is you've seen him on tape. I mean, the tape is just mind blowing. The stuff that he he does, his his pursuit of the ball carrier, especially, is just insane. I mean, the guy's a great tackler. He's got fantastic speed. The range is there. Uh, can play outside, can play inside. He's looks as both uh, in terms of draft guides right now. Uh, the thing with Miles Jack is he'll go to the combine. He'll likely destroy it. And then I think you're going you're gonna to be looking at those teams in the top five who are just going to get absolutely nuts looking at him. I think that – I think he could go as high – as San Diego at number three. I think Dallas, absolutely. I mean, Jerry Jones went after guys like Bruce Carter, your speedier linebackers. Uh, Bruce Carter was at a North Car- was a North Carolina kid. Um, uh, I've seen, uh, there's been a ton of uh, looks at Jacksonville talking about how Gus Bradley wants to get his, his types of guys in there and Miles Jack fits that. So, uh, I don't disagree. I think Miles Jack is outstanding. I just I'm not so sure that he's even going to come close to making to number eight at this point. I think that uh, Vernon Hargraves is probably my top answer. And although Mackenzie Alexander does make sense too a lot because I love what he's able to do at the line of scrimmage. A uh, physical guy, really long arms. In that res- respect, kind of reminds me of Drake Kirkpatrick, who used to play for Vance Joseph. The other guy I'll compare or I'll bring up is Hargraves, and the reason for that is Hargraves' skill set and the way he's able to play the ball. Uh, he's a better blitzer than the guy I'm going to compare him to. But Leon Hall, who also used to play for Vance Joseph, so I think that you've got a couple of guys in this draft who have some similarity to to the guys Vance Joseph uh, has had a relationship with during his time as a as a coach in the NFL. Now, I understand that Mackenzie Alexander is shorter than Drake Kirkpatrick. I think Kirkpatrick only is around 6'1". He was billed as 6'3 at Alabama, but he's really not He's not that tall. But, you know, just a real lengthy, just ultra-press type corner. Just, I mean, can manhandle guys at the line of scrimmage. And you saw that for Clemson this year. I mean, Mackenzie Alexander can rattle people at the line of scrimmage. It's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, that guy can, that guy can throw it down. So I think that you're talking about a, a wealth of players, and that's just in the secondary. I mean, we've been making the, the Shaq Lawson joke going number one overall because Fancy clearly wants that to happen. But 
I mean, it could be a player like that, and Mel Kuyper mocked him, although Mel Kuyper always trolls us with his with his picks. We all know that. Like, when he gave us Mark Ingram for, like, three months straight that one time. Uh, uh, there's other guys that some people aren't really talking about. I For a while there, everyone was into giving us, like, Leonard Floyd. Depending what Vance Joseph wants to do, that can either make some sense or not a lot of sense. I'm not really sure about that. Uh, Reggie Ragland. I've seen him go as high as number 11 now, so I guess it's it's not so taboo to have an inside linebacker that high in a mock draft. And I know that his his time speed isn't great. I think that he'll go to the combine and it might hurt him a little bit. I think that if he runs 4-7, you're happy. I think that, I mean, 4-8 is not out of the question, but, I mean, you watch him play and he's just an absolute sledgehammer. And the leader of an outstanding Alabama team, on defense, and I know Lewis always brings up the thing about how, uh, you know, is it the is it the defensive front that deserves the the majority of the credit, or is Raglan really doing that part? And I think it's both. I think Alabama's defensive front is so good that it's important to point out that Reggie Raglan, I mean, the way he just plays downhill for that team uh, doesn't doesn't take plays off doesn't look like he's coasting, doesn't look like he's sitting there and just enjoying the fruits of the fact that his defensive line is that good. I mean, he's up there. He can blitz. He, I mean, he's absolutely a part of it. He's not just a second-level participant who's grabbing the low-hanging fruit thanks to what's in front of him. I really think mm-hmm. that he's excellent. I think that as long as his time speed doesn't hurt him, I mean, you can see that in there too. I'll let these guys actually help you out uh, with that question and continue that while I uh, go ahead and tend to our next caller. So, um, guys, hit it. Well, to me, I'm not worried so much about scheme as I think Miami just needs to add talent. Um, you know, don't worry so much about does this guy fit. I mean, you, you've got to worry some. I mean, there's some players out there that you know are going to be a certain fit. You know, maybe they're you're looking at a, a guy who's a strictly a 3-4 defensive end, and that's it, or something of that nature. But for the most part, I would not – I'm not turning away from a talented player because he's not necessarily scheme-specific. And I think that that's what Adam Gates mentioned in his initial press conference was, you know, he's looking to build around the players he has, uh, build to their strengths. And most people will always take that to talk about what Tannehill does, but I think he means that for the entire offense, and hopefully for the entire team. So, you know, if if Mackenzie Alexander is your top guy and he's there at eight and that's who you want – don't sit there and say, well, we can't take him because he doesn't play zone. You know, I mean, he's going to have to. That's, that's, that's the way the league is. But, you know, or don't, don't sit there and say, well, you know, we're not going to take a certain guy for whatever reason. Just add talent to the team. Mm-hmm. Get the talent out there. Find a way to get it in there. The big question for me about Reggie Raglan is, uh, and I'll be honest, the other night when we were all watching tape on it, I was watching more Jack Conklin than I was Reggie Raglan. But, I want to see how the guy gets off of blocks. It's easy to play linebacker when you don't have anybody when, you're, when it's a clean shot. Uh, we've seen our linebackers do that, the current uh, Dolphins roster. It, what's going to happen when a guy like Richie Incognito gets his hand on Reggie Ragland? Can he shed that guy? Can he, can he control the block, push that guy away, and make the tackle? Or is he going to get pushed down the line of scrimmage like, and, and, you know, one guy that, that does that for the Dolphins is, is uh, 
Jelani Jenkins. And I like Jelani Jenkins, but he's not a guy who's going to just shed blocks all the time. So that's a big question with him. So for me, just add talent at whatever position. I'm not drastically opposed to drafting an offensive tackle. I don't think you need to unless the guy, you're 100% confident the guy could come in and be a dynamite left guard. And the reason I say that is because you have Brandon Albert, and unless you get rid of him, there's no point in drafting a guy who's going to redshirt. Uh, mm-hmm. He's not good enough to do that. So you need you need to add talent to the team. Uh, one guy that I like that I would not be opposed to getting, and this is going to be a wild card, and I told Keith and Zach this a couple weeks ago, is uh, I, I know it's a long shot at eight, and there are people that won't like it, but if they took Ezekiel Elliott, now, I'm, I'm assuming that Lamar Miller doesn't resign. If they draft Ezekiel Elliott, I would be fine with that. I think he is a he's got the makings of a top ten back. Uh, he, he, I think he does everything well, and he's a guy that you want to help Tannehill out. See this guy rock. Having said that, I think that I've read stuff that they want to make a push to get Lamar Miller, so I don't think they will draft a running back. But if that happened, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Like I said. Just add talent wherever you can. Don't worry about. I think, and I think they will. I think that's what you're going to see for, from this team. I mean, you're not. You've got a lot of people who aren't entirely comfortable with the idea of like Cannonball uh, handling things. But I'm willing to. I mean, if it's a collaborative thing, and I certainly hope it is, in terms of getting a feel for what what guys are going to fit here. There's a lot of really good defenders in this draft and in, in multiple rounds, too. I mean, because I've been a huge fan of drafting offensive tackle. I'm a big fan of building up the offensive line. I love the idea of getting a guy like Ronnie Stanley kicking uh, Brandon Albert inside, which is I, I've always thought his better position was guard. He was a guard at Virginia. He was outstanding there. Uh, I love that idea. Um, I, don't, I don't know how you know, rational or even plausible that is. But if they did do that, you'd have you would have all these fans groaning about not drafting defense. But defense on day two this year looks pretty good. I love it in the secondary, uh, especially a guy I've really warmed up to is uh, Jackson out of Houston. I think that he, he's a, a corner that uh, uh, would seriously boost what we're trying to do back there right now. And uh, looking at what the Bengals have done with Vance Joseph, he strikes me as a guy in that mold as well. So. Uh, Eric, we actually uh, have our uh, special guest on, so um, we're going to go ahead and uh, move on. But uh, give it, this is the first time uh, you've, I think you've listened or at least called. Uh, do so again. Give us a call next week. We'd love to hear from you. Will do. All right, thanks. I love the, the Perfect Strangers fans. He sounds like a nice guy, so I hope he gives us a call. It's always nice to, to build up this sort of clientele, these guys who uh, go ahead and give us a ring every week and uh, check in and bounce ideas off of us so we can give them bad information. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not all bad. Uh, yeah, sure. No, the best information, of course. So uh, I mentioned earlier that we are going to have uh, Max Himmelridge to give us a call. Uh, I had no idea that he's uh, in Palm Beach County. That's pretty cool. I'm familiar with the area. Uh, Max, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm I'm originally from Delray Beach, but I'm uh, in school in Los Angeles now. So, uh, oh, Origi- originally from Delray. Oh my! So, I got to ask, 
with all the great schools pretty much within driving distance, why the why the cross country move? Um my dad Miles Jack was U C L A. Yep, there you go. Oh wow. I followed Miles Jack. No, but um my my dad said when I was picking colleges, he said decide where you want to go to school and not what school you want to go to. So so I really wow. loved Los Angeles and it was a great opportunity to head out here. So I took it a little bit far away from my dolphins, but that's okay. We make do. Well, my understanding well, my is that there's a fair amount of dolphin, dolphin fans out in Southern California. Yeah. Yeah. There's a good, there's a pretty strong contingent. I run into a few of them every week. It's fun. It's always good to meet them. There are a lot of people on the site on the Finsider who are, who live in LA. Yeah. I was, always thought that was interesting. <laughs> UCLA. Yeah, it's always interesting to see how they how they are how they're distributed. Yes, the the home of Miles Jack. Yeah. So is Miles Jack your number one guy? I mean, are you going with the um, the hometown? I'm with you. I'm with you. I I was um, in and listening a little bit earlier. I agree that once he gets to the combine and the pro day, and when teams really start getting to look at him, if he comes in over 240 at the combine, I don't think he'll make it to Miami. I mean, if, oh, he, can, like if he can get his weight uh, up, if he gets it, if he comes in at two, that would be unbelievable. Even if he comes in, you know, a little bit under, you know, 235, 240, which yeah. I think is very plausible. I don't know that he makes it to Miami. I don't know that he makes it down to eight. Yeah. You'd have San Diego, you'd have Dallas. And you'd I don't have, know that San Diego will do it. San Diego's got a lot of linebackers that they've picked pretty recently. I mean, you know, they've invested picks in Manti Teo and Denzel Perryman and Melvin Ingram before that. And it's, and Donald Butler is under contract for them. And that's a lot of money. Donald Butler got a similar contract to what we gave to Nell Ellerby. And it is a lot Uh, of money. I don't know that they can invest. You think Melvin Ingram is going to stick around? He's a free agent, right? I don't know that he'll stick around or what's going to happen with him, but either way, I don't know that they can, they can pour more money into the line, more resources into the linebacking core. But Miami is in last year at 14, we were in a really dangerous spot. If we hadn't gotten Devonte Parker, then we would have been in like late first round talent. We would have been uh-huh. out of the right range this year we're in a much more comfortable position. Because, I mean, we saw last year, you know, Trey Waynes went, and then we had the only other guy there that we were really looking at seriously, I thought, was Marcus Peters. So we were in a pretty tough spot. Kind of, Miami was kind of the dividing line between where the high-level talent cuts off. And this year, we're in a much healthier spot. There's a lot more talent at the top of this year's draft, and depth-wise. I mean, there's a lot of great players coming out this year. I think Miami would be hard-pressed yeah. to find a better situation to be in with their needs. I'd agree. It's amazing that they didn't find themselves on the cusp of uh, the, the lottery picks, if you will, because it seems like they, they've in the past been really good at just finding that that area where you're just kind of on the outside looking in. Not so much this year. And I agree that if right. if Miles Jack goes, goes to the combine and weighs over 240 pounds, you're going to have these GMs just absolutely salivating. Like Jay, I mean, I does he get? Is there any way he gets past Dallas? I mean, Dallas, unless they draft a quarterback, I don't know who else. I mean, that, that's Miles Jack couldn't be more of a Jerry Jones guy. 
Well, the only guy who could be more of a Jerry Jones guy is Jafar Buckner. Jafar ah, Buckner looks like looks like a Jerry Jones type player. I mean, he's big, he's strong, he's fast. He's he's a really really good athlete. And I mean, Dallas also could go with a quarterback. I mean, you know, if Tony Romo hadn't gotten hurt this year, they would have ran away with the NFC East, and they'd be in the playoffs. Yeah, they're, they're a loaded team. So they might not have a chance to pick a quarterback again for a long while. So they might want to take their chance. If there's a team out there who wants to take a chance on Paxton Lynch, that's a good that's a good spot to do it to get him and let him develop. Because Paxton Lynch out of Memphis, you know, you're not coming out of Memphis and starting your first year in the league and playing well. And he wouldn't have to. He'd be able to sit behind Robo. I think that when you look at the draft order, I think that Miles Jack could make it to Miami. If, only if, I think the best thing that could happen is that one of the QB needy teams jumps up somewhere and jumps up with San Diego, seems like a logical trade partner, you know, before Dallas gets a chance. And I don't know. I mean, let's also say no team likes picking linebackers high more than the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. And the San Francisco 49ers ahead, I'm not sure. But, But moving forward, I think that it's, it's going to be hard for Miles Jack to fall down to us, but Reggie Ragland's also a good option. I mean, he's a really solid player, and the defensive line that Miami has with Indomitian Sue in the middle, you need to build – talent doesn't function in a vacuum. You don't just have your good players, and then they function alone. The linebackers have to feed off of what Indomitian Sue does by occupying blockers. So – if they can draft a linebacker there, that would best utilize their resources because they have to figure out which position is going to be able to have the best chance to, to succeed the quickest. And yes, Vance Joseph, obviously with his background would be able to work really well with a defensive back, but you also have to say that the linebacking core could do a really good job with the Dominic Sue up front. I've seen the Forrest Buckner mock, Everywhere from the range is from Dallas at four to I think I've seen him in like in the mid teens. But you got to figure that Chip Kelly really wants him too, right? Especially considering the personnel that uh, San Francisco typically handles. The Forrest Buckner is that kind of guy, and also uh, the, Chip uh, Kelly, Oregon player. Chip Kelly's an under the radar guy who I mean, I have to assume the Hugh Jackson Jared Goff connection. I think it's and he I mean. Hugh Jackson came out and said it. He said, like, we need to find a quarterback. So right, They're not passing on I a quarterback. Really, That's insanity. Yeah, These no, mock drafts are passing, actually on, passing on a quarterback. Yeah, no way. No, Jared Goff is going, Jared Goff is going there. But, I mean, Sorry, San Jared. Francisco, if, if Paxton Lynch is there, who knows? Who knows what they decide to do? I mean, they're the wild card here. The Ravens, they could pick offense again. I mean, because they could need it. The Ravens could pick offense again. You know, the, one, way or, one way or another, I feel like that works out for us, though. Because if they pick offense... No, that would work out, because I mean, we're not If, if Osemele leaves, then, I mean, who are they starting on the offensive line? Yanda? And that's pretty much it, right? It's not yeah, a good offensive them, line right now. Them picking offense would benefit us greatly, because I don't see any situation. I mean, even if Lamar Miller walks, I don't think that we... Uh, 
I really don't think that we would take Ezekiel Elliott at number eight. I don't think there's any chance. You're, bre- you're breaking Duke's heart right now. I, 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 I love him. I love him. I think he's a great prospect. I mean, he's he's great, but, I mean, we just can't. I don't know that it would be a luxury pick per se, but that's the word that we used on um, Tuesday on the Fin Maniac. So it's close to being a luxury pick. And there's so many good players in this year's draft. I mean, we obviously can't afford to trade up. So there's going to be no talk of jumping anyone. But you have to look at the numbers and just say someone will be there. You know, Hargreaves, Ramsey, Miles Jack, Ragland, someone will be there. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask. If you, I mean, if if you had, to say, like, your, I mean, reasonably, I mean, your guy at number eight, if you could have anyone. Who if have? I could have anyone, Miles Jack. Yes. But I would be, I'd say I'm 150% happy with Miles Jack, but I'd be 100% happy with either Hargreaves or Ramsey. I would not be happy with Mackenzie Alexander that high, personally. I think that we well, could get him later. Well, you're seeing a lot of people coming out right now saying that Alexander is the best corner in this draft, and a lot of reputable, like, really good draft yeah. scouts coming out and saying he's the number one guy. And it's like, I watch all the tape, and I don't I don't feel that way. And I'm just like, am I, am I missing something here? Am I, I'm not a hater because, I mean, I like Clemson. No, no, Let's you're not, not missing anything. Let's not forget that last year a lot of people thought Trey Waynes was the top prospect. Guess who's turned out to be the defensive rookie of the year? I mean, not even even outside of that. It's just like you look at who who you're going to take with a top ten pick. For me, Mackenzie Alexander's obviously been great for Clemson, but I think that if Miami gets to eight. I think they've just got to get their guy there. I mean, last year, I think my personal theory on the second round is that they thought they were going to be able to get Denzel Perryman, and they traded back, and San Diego pulled that rug out from under them. I don't right. think they're going to be trading back again. I really don't think they would do it. I think they were going to take Denzel Perryman, and they traded back a couple spots because they knew they were short on picks. This year, I mean, if we were a candidate to trade back and stockpile picks, I would say Mackenzie Alexander, you know, in the early teens would make sense. But I don't think there's going to be any influence for any team to get up to eight is the other thing. I think a team might want to get up to five, get up to six, even jump San Francisco. But I don't think anyone, you know, right behind Miami is anyone that's going to get – that you're going to jump. So we need Carson Wentz to, like, go off. Because, I mean, he's the, he's the third guy in right now. I've seen, I've seen Carson Wentz is fun to watch. He's fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I know a, that the the, crazy. the 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 big red flag with him is that he hasn't even thrown 700 passes at, at the collegiate level. I mean, well, I get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so, obviously. And I, I also there. want to go, go back for a second and say that Lewis, I hate that comparison of uh, Hargraves and Alexander, and you're you're talking about uh, Trey Wayne and then Marcus Peters. That's I don't think that those are like situations at all. Yeah, last year was not that, a long uh, year. Marcus Peters, well, I, Marcus, I don't think anyone ever doubted the talent. No one ever said Marcus Peters isn't going to be that good. They just don't want him going off on their coaching staff. That was purely his well, we right. You, at, you don't we were looking it. at I was, I, we were looking at different people then because a lot of people that I was looking at were saying that Trey Wayne was just playing better. 
I thought they were crazy, no way, but they were saying Although I will say Trey Wayne's played really well at the end of this year. I think he's going to end up being a good player, but in terms of being like a coverage corner, I mean, please. I mean, like, is he the, the better athletic talent? Sure. But, I mean, like, you need so much more than that if you're going to make it happen at the cornerback position. If you're out on that island, athleticism alone isn't going to get get it there for you. And, I mean, Trey Wayne struggled with that at Michigan State. But I think playing for Mike Zimmer is probably the best thing that could happen for that guy. I think that uh, – and, and he's got some really good players there around him. He's got a good support system if he's in Minnesota. So, But, I mean, Marcus Peters, I, I never doubted his talent. I mean, like, uh, Duke was a big fan of Marcus Peters early on. Duke's really into the uh, University of Washington corners, it seems. He's a big Desmond Trufant guy, too. So, but with Marcus Peters, it was never, in my opinion, it was never a question about his ability. I mean, you, you watched the tape. I mean, the kid was amazing. It was just the, the, the off-the-field questions, or really the sideline questions, if you will, getting along with the coaching staff. You saw the rumors there. But, I mean, Marcus Peters is awesome. But I, I give Trey Wayne's credit, especially in that game against Seattle, that when he got hurt in that game and he was off the field, it really hurt Minnesota, in my opinion, which I think is a, you know, a, a, a huge compliment to a rookie. The fact you're not on the field and it, it really – is a detriment to your team situation. Cool. So um, he also got. I would. I will say that there was a very positive situation towards the end of the season for Trey Waynes because Xavier Rhodes struggled at the beginning of the year, was drawing a lot of penalties, and then he kind of got his mind right and later in the season played some really good football down the stretch. So I mean that is a that is a really good situation for him to be in. You know, you saw both corners kind of come in and do that. You saw Trey Waynes come in and play with Xavier Rhodes at the end of the season and Marcus Peters and Sean Smith playing together. And that was, that was two great duos for, those, for their respective teams. But I really don't think it's a fair comparison. I mean, this year, usually you're lucky in a draft to get one corner like Ramsey Hargreaves or Mackenzie Alexander. Mackenzie Alexander is more like a – uh, you're, in most years, he would probably be the top corner, but it just so happens that, that you know you have Ramsey and Hargreaves coming out. It's kind of like the situation a few years ago with quarterbacks, not to the same degree, where you had so many coming out at the top of the draft. You know, you had Luck, you had RG three, you had Tannehill, you had like all these guys coming out, and it's just depth at the position in terms of the draft teams. Teams that need defensive back help are going to love it. They're going to have a field day in the draft. I think, I think I mean, there's a lot of end up being really good. I just think it's a yeah, – yeah. I, I have to figure it's probably a question of polish. I mentioned that earlier. I mean, he's clearly a raw – we'll say a raw prospect. I think Hargraves still needs some refining. I mean, I just I'm, – I'm a big fan of Hargraves right now, and I'm a huge fan of Jalen Ramsey, and I just – I hate the fact that I feel like in, in terms of the, the Ramsey pursuit, probably on the outside looking in. It's hard to imagine that guy getting past Baltimore. Although, like like you mentioned, Baltimore's got some serious issues on the offensive side of the ball right now. They need receivers, too. They have no idea what's going to happen with Prashad Perryman. I think Baltimore, the only shot for Ezekiel Elliott to go in the top ten is if Baltimore decides to take him. That's the only, that's the only chance in my mind. I mean, the best Joe Flacco has been was when he had Ray Rice, when he had a solid every down back. If they can get if they can get Joe Flacco another every down back, I don't know that they don't do it because the easiest thing to do is to help maximize the talent that they currently have, which would be best done by 
securing someone like that for them. I'm I'm not worried about having Baltimore right in front of us. I would be much more worried if Tampa Bay was in front of us. Yeah, but you can think they are uh, not. Yeah, it's very interesting the direction they go because I feel like I feel like Hargraves falls no further than number nine overall. I think that Hargraves is the kind of player they need. Uh, you talked about a team dra- trading up for a quarterback. You have to figure it's got to be St. Louis, right? I mean, how yeah. can he be that loaded and still be so bad? I mean, Jeff Jeff Fisher's just become the king of seven and nine. I mean, I think that team's gone seven and nine like every year since he's gotten there. I mean, it's but this is head on backwards on the sidelines. That's like that's that's worse than Belichick in terms of presentation. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. Maybe Go it's the fact ahead. that I'm 19. I don't get too hung up on that kind of stuff. But I agree it's ridiculous. that it's not, he's, it's not he's great. He's as old as my parents. <laughs> but he's yeah. You're 19. He, Jeff Fisher is not 19. Jeff Fisher is much older. I just no, I yeah. turned that game on and I was like, what this? Yeah, I don't think we're gonna get. I don't think we're gonna get Adam Gates with the hat on backwards. But I mean, that's the other thing. The Rams might need to make a flashy pick. Because they're trying to sell that team. They're in that phase. I mean, they've obviously got the star. They're going to market, you know, I'm sure we're going to start seeing Todd Gurley on billboards around Los Angeles in a couple of weeks. But I'm sure. they're going to, they've got a star on each side of the ball. They might go outside. I mean, Tavon Austin is an interesting offensive weapon, but he is hardly a number one receiver. Just purely because of his size. I mean, it limits the number of routes you can throw to him. So, I think it's a great theory you have going on here because I think that the Rams are going to try to make a splash. I think L.A. going there, they need an L.A. quarterback. seems kind of weird that they're yeah, going to you know, trade, trade up and then they, they're like, we want the kid from North Dakota State, which is probably like the least L.A. thing you could ever say. But, I mean, not really similar conditions, but, I mean, you're going out, you're going to play in the Coliseum until they get that. That's hard for them to get up that, there. I don't think they're going to be able to get that high enough up to take one of those guys. But I, going back to Miami, the way I'm looking at the order and counting it out, I think there's a really good chance that we end up with one of the two corners. I would be very surprised if we didn't. The only situation in which we don't is if Baltimore takes one and someone even higher takes one. I mean, San Diego's got so many needs, they could go anywhere. They could go anywhere except quarterback and running back. Yeah, that's imagining mean, that team are, trying to figure out what they're going to do. Because, I mean, you can see Jalen Ramsey going there, especially because Weddle's out of the, out of the fold now. Yeah, because Weddle's out. Uh, Weddle's, Weddle's just not going back to San Diego. Offensive tackle, because who's their, I mean, they're starting left tackle King Dunlap. I mean, they're, they're, that was the only offensive line that ranked lower than the, um, the Dolphins this year. So, well, they also you think that, you know, taking, season. you know, Ronnie Stanley or Laramie Tunsil if he's not the number one overall pick, which I don't think he's going to be the – I don't know. My theory is I think that Tennessee goes defense. Yeah, they need to go defense. Tennessee has to go defense. Tennessee has had no they. edge rush for years. For years. I mean, the last player they tried to sign – was they signed, like, another team's backup linebacker. I forget exactly who it was. And they tried to turn him into a pass rusher. He was, like, a weak side linebacker. 
I mean, they're, they need a pass rusher. And I think Joey Bosa is a, a really solid pick for them. I, I don't know why people got away from that. I mean, we all, we all had Joey Bosa penciled as the number one pick before this whole thing got started. And nothing's changed. They've ended up in the perfect situation for him to be the number one pick. Tennessee can yeah. fill more than anything. Tennessee too. doesn't have a Tennessee doesn't have a sol- doesn't have a bad cap situation either. You know they're not pouring money into a lot of guys, so they could make some. No, definitely. Free I think they're one of the teams with the least amount of dead cap money. Uh, yeah, I can't. So, the last yeah. guy they signed for a lot of money was Sean Green, and obviously that didn't work oh. out. But <laughs> both would be a, an interesting pick for them. It's going to be interesting to see because if he's not the number one pick. Where does he end up? You know, San, Diego. San Diego. I don't think he makes it. He doesn't make it past San Diego. Does the Bulls take him? I mean, either way, that kind he of works won't out make in it favor. Past. What would the most Cleveland Browns thing to be? Cleveland Brown things to do thing to do be though? It would be completely to just not take Jared Goff and go with Joey Bosa at number two and just say screw the whole thing. And. I would not. I would not be surprised at all if Cleveland showed their level of dysfunction in that in with that second overall pick and made a ridiculous choice. But they could. There's there's so many things that could happen. I mean, we're also in January. I mean, if you know, if Miles Jack gets to the combine and he's two two twenty eight two thirty and he runs the four seven, you know, he's he's past Miami. I, he gets past us. If he shows up right. at 245 and runs a 4-5-40 and kills the three-cone and the broad jump like we all think he will and leads all linebackers in vertical and bench presses for 25 reps, then who knows? I mean, he, is the most, he has the most to gain or lose from the combine out of any player except for maybe one of the quarterbacks, Carson Wentz or Paxton Lynch. He is like a heat-seeking missile watching that guy play. It is insane. It's unbelievable. Watching I mean, that guy play does, the linebacker position. My roommate, and I are, my roommate and I are sitting there in the Rose Bowl last year, and he says to me, Miles Jack is playing corner. I said, there's no way. And I look over, Miles Jack is lined up on the outside receiver in the end zone. I mean, they do everything with him. And UCLA's defense was ranked in the top 20, I think, in the nation for the first couple weeks of the season. Miles Jack gets hurt. Another defensive anchor of theirs, Eddie Vanderdose, gets hurt. What happens? They drop below 100. They become one of the worst defenses in the country. And that really happened a lot because of Miles Jack. I mean, Miles Jack was the difference maker for that team. They played him at running back. Miles Jack was the Pac-12 offensive and defensive freshman of the year. In his freshman well, season. Well, isn't that the thing the that if you play linebacker at UCLA, you have to be a running back, too, pretty much? Yeah, like I mean, Anthony I Barr. get the role now. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Anthony, I mean, Anthony Barr is ridiculous, but it's it, – UCLA's turning out a lot of linebackers. Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr. Miles Jack will get taken by the Vikings. Oh, but it's, it's not like, well, yeah, UCLA is kind of like linebacker U now. It's kind of taken over for Penn State in that regard. So, right. But I mean, uh, it's, I can't, I can't see a situation in which Miami, the good thing is I was very concerned last year heading into draft season because I didn't know what was going to happen if, you know, when the Vikings took Trey Waynes, I thought they could have taken Devontae Parker. And I didn't think I they were going to. 
I thought they were going to, too. And I didn't think that Miami was as high on Trey Waynes as we all thought. We know how Joe Philbin is with his, his team of uh, church boys. So I don't think he would have taken Marcus Peters. I mean, I have no idea what would have happened. We were living right on the edge of danger there for a complete disaster. But what I love that Mike Tannenbaum didn't do, which shows me that he's changed a little bit, Mike Tannenbaum traded up a lot when he was in New York. He traded up very frequently. Oh, whenever he was even it. the slightest bit concerned that he wouldn't get his guy. Last year, he waited. I remember he waited trading out. up for Mark Sanchez in the 2009 draft and all the Jets fans yeah. going nuts and everything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that burned into my mind. It's not as funny now for obvious reasons, although it seemed pretty humorous right. at the time. So, I mean, if you're looking at it, you're hoping that Carson West went uh, – because, I mean, Duke talks about it a lot, uh, that whole theory where you want these players to rise up. Like Laquan Treadwell. I think Laquan Treadwell is good enough to get a team in the top ten. You know, maybe it wouldn't oh, be the most easily. positive thing to do. There's so many teams that want guys like that. There's so many teams that want guys like that. They'll, a team will take a receiver high. They'll be willing to take the chance because of the position. It's the same thing as the quarterback. It's the easiest position to overdraft other than quarterback. Wide receiver is the easiest position to overdraft because Laquan Treadwell is going to get there and he's going to have a huge combine. And he's going to do great. I mean, he's got good film, too. That's the other thing. He's not just a combine guy. I mean, he's got good film and he deserves to be a high pick. He's bigger than I thought, too. Yeah, when yeah, I first saw him playing at Ole Miss, I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, that guy's an awesome receiver. And then I saw, like, his actual build, and I was like, oh, okay. So, right, uh, exactly. all right, so just kind of like some sort of quick hit questions because then we're going to do this whole – somebody requested that we do a fan-speak mock. And I actually have a, another call that I, I want to take here, and I don't want to leave anyone hanging. Uh, oh, Matthew Canada was thinking about calling in. He says that, but he never does. So, yeah, he always says if he drinks in. enough. He always says if he drinks calling, enough. He's not drinking out, enough. Matthew. No, I love, I love following him on Twitter, on Twitter. He's probably one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. So No, he's uh, great. He's, he's, he was great throughout the whole co- coaching search. I mean, he's, he's great. I mean, I don't know how many signatures we'd need to get him on the Sun Sentinel instead of the guys they've got now, but I'd sign it. I'm cool with just getting rid of the Sun Sentinel and just bringing it back, like, just pretty much starting over with it. And we call it the Shun Sentinel around here, by the way. If you're going to be a part of the you have to call the right name. Now I know. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, Sean Sentinel. I sincerely apologize. No. That's okay. I'm not well, so my, parents, I give, my parents unsubscribe. My parents unsubscribe to it. Oh, boy. I give Lewis props because Lewis was one of the, the first real big fans of Miles Jack that I I knew because he was talking about him. So, I mean, I got Lewis if, on if the Miles hype Jack train. I'm the, become, one who got, I'm the one who got Lewis on the hype train. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, all right, so so now you jump Lewis as, as the guy who who started it, which I mean it makes sense. I mean you are the I have you are out there. <laughs> yeah, when at That's the awesome. and what I always say UCLA they had to move their practice facility because they're doing construction in one area, and they started practicing in a pretty public area, so they took the numbers off the jerseys so that other teams couldn't spy or whatever. And when I'd be watching them, uh, the window to the gym opens up to the field where they were practicing. And so when I was working out, I would watch and I would look and you could see miles Jack without numbers. You could make him out pretty easily. 
And you could just see he's just faster. He's bigger. He's unbelievably gifted. And get Miami jacked is a pretty great hashtag. So that was my campaign for a little while there. We're going with hashtag get Miami jacked 2016. Oh, I like it. You know, yeah, uh, we get jacked. the guys who, who uh, got me into looking at Miles Jack too, because that was at a time where uh, I wasn't overly concerned with you. I used to spend all, all year looking at prospects. Now I've kind of cut it down, but I start really looking probably like in around, well, say like late November is when it starts to catch my my interest and then I really get into it. Like now I'm starting to think like, man, why didn't I do this sooner? There's so much I want to look at here. But yeah, I definitely give Lewis props. And uh, by uh, by proxy, I give you props for... Um, I appreciate So, so we'll I don't see. mean to harp on all that... the UCLA guys, but there's another guy from UCLA this season, Paul Perkins, who everyone needs to take a look at. He was one of the most underrated running backs in the country during his time at UCLA. He led the Pac-12 in rushing the season prior to this one. He is an unbelievably gifted ball carrier out of the backfield in block. He he will be one of the steals of the draft this year for whoever takes him. And he's going to be underrated because he's not huge. He's not going to be insanely fast. You know, he's not going to be he's not going to be 240 and he's also not going to be a four, three guy. He's going to be in between, but he's got great instincts. He's patient, which is the best thing about him. He waits for the play to develop and then picks his lane. He's an outstanding playmaker. Sure. I guess I would hope we're not even going to need a run back because I'd like to believe that Lamar Miller's coming back. I would hope so. That would be nice. Uh, I would hate to. I don't know if you want to. Oh, go ahead. I'll let you finish that. No, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna ha- say I that uh, to if Mac wants to stick around, uh, he can. I'm actually gonna I'm gonna take the next call. We've only got about 20 minutes left. The show went by pretty quick. With uh, yeah, I'd love to everyone stick around. calling in. So Max, if you want to stick I'm around, I'm gonna take a guess. You can. I'm gonna take a guess. Is this Dolphin fan for life? I think we've had him on hold for almost 25 minutes, so I feel bad. So we'll go to the oh, phones. No. Uh, callers, reveal yourself. The party. Hello. <laughs> yes. It is Dolphin. Man, I'm sorry about the long wait. I just I just now saw that we had a call. It's all right. Um, it gave me a chance to carry up some groceries, so it's all right. Oh, <laughs> but um, that's a good thing. No, so, um, what's up? One one team I wanted to add to that watch list. Um, Philadelphia. Um, first off, they're going to be looking for a quarterback, so they're going to want to move up, depending on how the draft plays out. Um, because Sam Bradford. Uh, went to them initially when they started contract talks. He wanted $25 million a season <laughs> to re-sign with them. So, yeah, oh and he really God. hasn't well, played. Hey, Kirk Cousins is going to get paid, so why not? Cash in. He's, he's really not going to budge. So Philadelphia, I, I would think, is one uh, one team to watch as far as like what they try to do this season. I mean, they don't have a second-round pick, but they got those two third-rounders. And um, actually, that's who I'd love Miami to talk to first and the two third-rounders for their first uh, – for our first-rounder. But um, the reason why is this. There's a guy that I've been slowly been tipped on, and um, everybody's going to think I'm crazy 
because it's a wide receiver. Um, but in the third round, if he falls as far, um, last year he would have been a first-round pick, and uh, it's Richard Higgins. Um, okay, six sure. Two, yeah. 185, uh, solid route runner. He's expected to run a four, five, five. He might get that time up a little bit. But um, I watched this guy, and minus the one throw that he dropped, like literally he went up after the game and he says, I got to catch that, and I'm going to catch that next time. Um, So he pretty much pulled a Tony Lippett there with that comment. But um, he's a guy I'd love to see in the third round. Because you you were a Jalen Smith guy. I'm still a Jalen Smith guy. So with Jalen Smith, given his current situation with the ACL and the MCL, who, if given your choice, who would you take at eight? Who are you and looking for at eight? At eight, I am – at eight, I'm still looking to trade down, but if I'm handcuffed to eight, um, there's been a lot of talk about DeForest Buckner from Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um but um, Walter Football is the one that really brought that up for a little bit. But I mean, I'm I'm not a fan of taking a cornerback that early um, because of the fact that uh, well, I like Tony Lippett. I like to see what he's going to bring next year, and um, he's one of those guys that's only going to get better. But if I'm handcuffed to eight, um, I really I'd, – I'd still take Jalen Smith, to be honest with you, because um, there's another guy in which is the reason why I wanted to look at trading with Philly for their two third-rounders. Um, there's a middle linebacker. What's his name? Um Oh, man, I forgot his name. It's on the tip of my tongue. But uh, I'd still take Jalen Smith because that's like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of guy. At eight, I, can let you know, I can let you know I don't think any team's going to be handcuffed in this year's draft. I mean, there's enough talent at the top. I think anyone who wants to get out of their pick in the top ten will be able to get out of their pick, depending on how things shake out on draft day. But I, I think- really think if there's a QB there, Philadelphia will be the one to try to move up because they don't want to pay Sam Bradford $25 million a season, and they don't really have another option that they can outright just say, okay, you're our guy, Sam, just take a walk. Yeah, they don't. You know? I mean, other than Mark Sanchez is their backup right now, so that would be a disaster. Yeah, Good boy. Uh, you know, the interesting thing, we were talking about Tennessee at number one. Uh, it kind of works to their advantage that Cleveland's sitting there at number two because it's so hard to entice people into into moving up to that number one pick. But say the say you know Jared Goff just absolutely blows away his workout, you know, has his pro day and just absolutely kills it. That that number one pick becomes a a, a popular discussion point, I imagine, if you're talking to Tennessee and you've got Cleveland sitting there, too, and you know that Hugh Jackson wants that guy. 
Has there ever been a trade for the number one overall pick? Historians who yeah. might have more experience than I do. Yes. Uh, a good example of trading out for the number one pick would be uh, when the Jets had it in uh, 97, and they were hoping that Peyton Manning was going to declare, and he didn't because uh, uh, Archie told him to stay in school, probably because Archie didn't want to play for the Jets. So uh, Jets traded Archie out. Manning is, Saint, Archie Saint Manning Lewis has determined more NFL history. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. And that he's just always back there behind that curtain, just like screwing things up, or you know, telling Eli he's not going to play for San Diego. Uh, yeah, he's just you know, you know whatever. Always... It's not always a po- it's not always a popular thing, but yeah. Or or uh, so St. Louis ended up trading out into that that number one overall spot in '97. They took Orlando Pace, who is still one of the three best offensive tackles I've ever seen in my life. That guy was incredible, and I remember when he played at Ohio State, he was the first tackle I ever saw who could, like, make uh, a pass rusher literally disappear. Like, I could not see the guy because Orlando Pace had a hold of him. I'm going to make this bet right now. Either Cam Wake or Olivier Vernon will be playing in Tennessee next year. Olivier Vernon would fit what they do pretty well. I mean, he would be a good fit for what they do. I don't think, uh, based on Cam Wake's contract situation, I'm in the minority on this. I don't think they cut him. They, I mean, there's numbers here you have to look at. How many positions can we fill needs for? I mean, people are saying, oh, we'll cut Jordan Cameron and we'll cut Brent Grimes and we'll cut Cameron Wake. We're not going to be able to sign Olivier Vernon regardless of what happens with Cameron Wake. Olivier's gone. I don't think Olivier's, that's the case. I think Olivier's oh. gone. I mean, Olivier's going to cost. Olivier is going to cost some team a lot of money. I mean, you look at what Derek Wolf got from Denver. And you're going to have to make that even more money on the free agent market. And yeah, Cameron Wake, right, right, exactly. That hurt us a lot. I mean, and you look at the opposite. Miami's usually pretty good about getting those extensions done. I mean, we were able to extend Tannehill before the other quarter, before the Russell Wilson extension came out, because that would have been disastrous for us. But now we're at the point where I don't think they'll be able to let go of everyone. I mean, I think Jordan Cameron will restructure because the tight end is a very, very, very important part of the Adam Gase offense. Then I think you've got to look at Brent and just say, like, it depends what happens. I mean, what they feel is going to happen in the draft. If they cut Brent Grimes, we're as good as taking a corner there. I mean, if they cut Brent Grimes, we're taking a corner in the first round. There's no question otherwise. But Not really, because Grimes. there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of cornerbacks that can literally do what Brent Grimes does in free agency this year. And there's I, mean, people I don't that think can we can do afford it for less it. money. I don't think we can afford it in free agency this year. I mean, we need to I keep think, our guys. We need to keep Lamar Miller, and we need to keep um, we need to keep one of the defensive ends. I think we'll probably end up re-signing Derek Shelby. Mm-hmm. And you all can always stuff, look, just looking, looking at it, likely. So pass rusher comes more into question if Olivier Vernon hits the road then. So at number eight, I mean, you consider that too. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think Olivier's gone. I mean, I don't think there's a way that the team resigns <laughs> him. I think there's bad blood yeah. there because of how he performed this season. He performed well, but his penalties, I mean, he... The team, I mean, we remember early in the season, before we knew before we knew we were out of it, the Jacksonville game. We had the team stopped. It was probably third and eight. 
incomplete pass comes in because Olivier Vernon laid the quarterback out in a stupid way. Yeah, and you end up a lot of those penalties were very, very ticky tack. I mean, I've seen plays where it was exactly the same situation, and all these look at the um, look at um, it's one of the playoff games, but uh. The QB got laid out in a similar fashion, and it, it really it was classified a good hit. But um, I really think that that isn't gonna hurt them as much as people think. You know? Yeah, I think Vernon. Um, I think, I think, I think but I really do on the market. I really do think that Vernon does come back. Wake does get traded or extended to a point where he's maybe making four or five million this season, which gives us about four million in flexibility. Sure. And the the whole point is, you know, Cam Wake already said he was he would restructure to stay in Miami. We're like the only team. We're like one of the teams that gave him an actual chance when he was coming down from the CFL. There were other teams that wanted him, but we showed him the most love. So I think he really, if he doesn't get traded, he takes a pay cut because they seem to get along good too anyways. And Vernon may take a little less money than he would take somewhere else to stay in Miami because it's his hometown team. That's the only thing that that I see because in all actuality, I mean, he knows how he's going to perform with Cam Wake. He knows how he's going to perform with, you know, um, Sue. He knows that Jordan Phillips is probably going to get a larger role. And these are people that have been in the room since the, the coaches may have changed. But these are guys that, all pretty much have played together their entire careers, you know. So, and Vernon, as much as he's talking about he may not take a pay cut or this, that, and the other thing, that's the agent talking because he wants to push them to make more of an effort because of the fact that Miami is known to say, hey, you take a little bit less this year and we'll catch you on the back end of your contract. So, of course, he's going to say that because he's going to want to drum up a little bit of market for himself so that way he can say, okay, well, look, you know, I'd be willing to take this, but I have another team that's, say, willing to pay me $8 million a season. No team's going to pay. I don't think – I don't know that Miami offers Olivier Vernon a contract. I don't know that Miami even put something out there. I don't – I – the team – if given their choice, would probably want to move on at the position. You have to think, what would they rather have? Would they rather have that cap space and flexibility, or would they rather be bound for a player who we're still waiting to have a breakout season from? We have not seen that from Olivier. It's been when and when and when. And, you know, do they yeah, want to find themselves to another – he didn't. He didn't have a breakout season because when they needed him to perform, a breakout season is all-encompassing. A breakout season is when you become a guy that deserves that contract. He became a guy that will command a lot of money on the open market, 
he didn't become a guy that you can build your defensive line around. He became, you know, he still has problems. And if it, you're Miami, you've got to look and say, can I move on? And can we go and possibly work around that? What do you need more? Do you need help in other places on the defense? Or do you need a defensive end? You know, no team in the NFL has a high-level starter at every single position. And if you want to prioritize what positions you're going to take a loss at, if you've already got Cameron Wake under contract, you can say that we'll roll with Cameron Wake at one defensive end spot and maybe try a rotation at the other. If you're not strong at one defensive end position, it's not the end of the world for your football team. But if you have no corners and no linebackers, that is the end of the world, as we saw because Miami was victimized for two games. I think you'll see, see those the thing with that, though. We got to tie it up here, guys. Uh, so uh, we got about uh, a couple of minutes left, so I just want to do some quick hitting questions. I'll throw it at you guys. You just go ahead and, and give me a short answer. Uh, well, actually, this is championship weekend. It'd be nice to see the Dolphins back in championship weekend. Uh, the last time I saw them play in the AFC championship game, <clears throat> I was eight. Awesome. So, uh, who are your winners this weekend? We'll start with Chris. Who do you got? Denver wins. Well, Denver well, wins. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, what about what about Arizona and Carolina? Uh, Carolina wins that. Okay. Um, Carolina and Denver. How about you, Max? I've I've got the opposite pick. I've got Arizona and New England. I think Arizona's oh offense is going to be a lot for Carolina to handle, even on the road. Cam Newton can help lead the Panthers to a win in this game with that receiving core. I would, I would be infinitely impressed. I mean, I've obviously been impressed with them this season thus far, but that would, that would be really something. And I don't think I, I want to know when the last team Bill Belichick, when the last time Bill Belichick lost to the team twice in one season. Belichick doesn't lose twice yeah. to the same team in one season. He'll take them. I think a couple things to note is uh, Tom Brady typically does not play very well in my life. And I realize that now it's now sports authority field or whatever it's called, but we'll just, it's still mile high. Uh, I, it's with still you, mile I think high Arizona's going to win that game. Mainly because I think that Bruce Arians is a better coach than uh, Guy Guy. So uh, I just think that if, you, if you're putting those guys up and it's Ron Rivera versus Bruce Arians, I think Bruce Arians in that matchup given the fact that Arizona really just got by in a game where Carson Palmer played terribly. Uh, their defense, their pass rush really wasn't that good. I think they'll get back, that back on track this week. I think Arizona wins. Unfortunately, I hate to say it, I think New England wins on uh, on Sunday, though. I'm, I'm hoping Denver beats those guys, but... I got a bad feeling. I mean, it would be great to see. It would be great to see Peyton get another shot at it. I mean, because I know we all, anyone who's watched him throughout his career, wants him to be able to go out in the best way possible. And if he can go out on top, that's what we all want to see. I just all right, want I got all of the Peyton Eli talk. Oh well, is Eli better because he has two Super Bowl wins? You know. Well, I Peyton mean, if Peyton wins, then he won't. I think Peyton needs a second ring because Peyton's a great player and Eli got a second ring because Eli's a great player. I mean, but I, agree. I totally know what you mean. It would end, it would, it would end in annoying debate. Let's, uh, here's the last question. I'll ask, I, we'll start with Max. 
Who is the number one pick in this year's NFL draft? Joey Bosa. What about you, Chris? I think it will be Joey Bosa. Uh, I have to agree. Either him or Tunsil. All right. Okay. Thank you. To, uh, is Lewis still on? Yeah. I thought you hung up. I'm not going to lie. I've been asking all these questions. I'm like, something something feels off. Well, the conversation <laughs> was just kind of flowing, so I just went with it. Worried me. I rode the wave. Uh, for a second there, I was just like, did I lose him? Because I also lost too. He's not on anymore. And my board is malfunctioning, so I don't know who's on and who's off. So I, oh my goodness. All right, so now I have to ask you, and we have to hurry. So who are your picks for this weekend? I'm done betting against New England and Carolina. Okay. I think it's going to be Arizona and New England. I hope it's Arizona and Denver. That would be perfect. That would be the perfect Super Bowl. Where I don't even care who wins, although I'd probably like to see. I love Bruce Arians, but I'd like to see him win. All right. So for uh, my good my good friends and co-hosts, Lewis and Duke, uh, we're missing Duke right now. Uh, special guest, uh, Max, thanks for calling in. Glad that you're on the site now and uh, writing for the Finsider and our uh, yeah, longtime contributor, Chris. Uh, thanks, everyone, and uh, we'll go ahead. We'll see you next week, and the show's back on Wednesday next week. So uh, we'll see you then. Good night. Good night. Hey, everybody. It's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Verge Cast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. So you listen to podcasts, check it out.